This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez, after another uh, busy week of uh, UCF sports that including off-season stuff eric it's uh well it's nice to start the show with some uh with some really good news from the basketball front isn't it right eric it is but i'm more excited about uh an interview we got we're gonna air later on this has been a busy it's funny it's basketball season and yet it's still football season even though there is no more college football it's still a busy there is it's always football season football season never ends we got a lot to talk about that interview eric's talking about Mackenzie Milton. We had him on. Uh, in, in case you haven't seen it, we put his. We we interviewed him earlier this week. Actually, last it was actually this past Saturday. We put it up on our YouTube channel. We're going to drop it in here for you in case you missed it. Mackenzie, um, of course, playing his what we believe, of course, will be his final game in the bounce house uh, in the uh, Hula Bowl this coming Saturday. So we got his takes on that and his career. Otis Anderson as well. Um, of course, those two were really good friends, so really thankful to, for Tim McKenzie for his time, and great interview, too. Really, really cool. Wait till you hear about it. Bryson Turner will join us a little bit later to talk uh, about the sport, the uh, spring sports that are getting ready to start this week, but joining us now to start things off and to talk about the big story, the student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, is in the house, and we're going to talk a little UCF men's basketball after a 10-point victory over the Memphis Tigers at home, one that they really needed, Kyle. First of all, how are you, man? It's uh, this, it, I see the smile on your face after after covering a dub from last night. Listen, well, no, I mean, you know, a, a, a pair of dubs as I had the ladies the night before, but, like, right. I, 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 I'm, I'm smirking mostly because I've never seen – uh, you two with the reputation of the old married couple, of course. I've never seen so masterfully use a win as a backhanded smack back to Elo of, hey, I told you it wasn't time to burn the program. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into all I, that. We'll get into all that. Well, I, Are listen, you paying rent, Kyle, by the way? You're, so, you're at the arena so often. I feel like it's your home away from home. Um, listen, you, you joke about that, but I commented the other day to my wife. I'm like, maybe not in mileage because I do drive to Jacksonville uh, to cover the Jacks and talk to Shaq Griffin, but certainly in number of trips taken, oh, it's definitely addition financial arena for the past two months. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, this game, as far as this game was concerned, um, this one, they the Knights needed and they got it. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, let's be real, a little bit of help to key Memphis players out for this game, but I don't care, all right? Uh, Memphis is one of two American teams ahead of UCF in the net rankings right now. They get the 10-point victory, obviously. Memphis has the struggles that Penny was having earlier in the season. They seem to have kind of figured them out, and they had won three in a row. Uh, And this also snapped a five-game winning streak for Memphis uh, against UCF. But they get the W and what for you looking back at uh, how everything went down, what was the, what was the key? What was the difference in this game compared to the uh, loss a week ago against Temple? 
Well, I mean, let's let's so let's travel in time back to the previous week. Everything that was said about that game, about how they uh, need to find identity, how about how UCF needs to understand better who they are, and they also need to come out with more vigor, which I would argue is part of said identity. All happened this isn't like the temple game where like hey we need to get more assists in there and then maybe the ball will be distributed more and you could win no they did that and still lost here everything they tried to do over the week happened and i would argue that trying to repair one's identity as this team is constructed is a far more difficult task i'm never going to say COVID is a positive but i will say that there is a silver lining in that tulsa game getting canceled because they were able to focus more on them to prepare for this game and listen I, I know what you said about the big players being out deandre williams and uh um uh, earl timberlake i was gonna say earl strickland i'm like who the hell is that uh, earl well, timberlake. you didn't say justin timberlake um, anyway. no i i prefer my 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 uh songs to be more in a bass clef thank you but um the uh, but at the end of the day I, I i feel like those two guys being out is huge but ucf Having a double-digit win and being as dominant as they were at times, there's a chance maybe, air quotes, they could have still pulled a close upset, if not lost a very close game, where if you were listening to the scuttlebutt going into said game, it was supposed to be a dish down. So a, a lot of that going on. And, hey, the, the coming out party of one Darius Johnson, Big deal here. You'll certainly read about that as you read uh, uh, my article when it goes up on the blackandgoldbanneret.com. Um, talking about him rising. Sure, the coaches and players, uh, uh, Bakke and Johnny Dawkins, were both coy about it. Hey, well, he's been doing that in practice. Okay, well, he did it in a game tonight, ladies and gentlemen. There was some impact, and that's going to open up some possibilities for what this team can do with future conflicts and, and uh, adversity that they may see on the court later in the season. Well, he was key coming off the bench. They kind of took the wraps off of him in this game, right? So 24 minutes off the bench. 4 of 12 shooting, not the best shooting day. Three, 2 of 6 from three-point range. Um, but uh, four, uh, 3 assists, uh, 2 rebounds. Did turn the ball over 4 times, but I thought that you know a lot of the things that he did that was key didn't show up in the stat sheet because, especially in the second half, he was doing most of the ball handling. And Darius... Perry was playing off the ball. Right. And right. when Memphis went into their, you know, 40 minutes of hell mode where they tried to where they try to turn the game into a track meet, I thought that he was really key and kind of and showed showed like some veteran instincts out there in slowing the game down going into the half court and and formulating some good looks for his teammates, though. And I feel compelled to tell about one particular possession that I think kind of emulates and, and exemplifies all of that, right? He's going, he, he was handling the ball. They were setting up the offense. Bakke comes to the top of the key as if they're about to run a play, and Darius waves him off. First of all, that's a freshman waving off a fifth year senior. You don't and see a that. Team captain who's yeah. literally a, about a foot taller <laughs> than him. Like it checks. And Mbake, did you see the look on Mbake's face? I saw it. Of course, yeah, I was like, was like, huh? was like what? Yeah. And he waves him again. <laughs> so he backs off. And you no. what, does the, what does the young man do as the shine clock, the shot clock winds down, takes it to the hole to pick up the bucket. And I asked yeah. Baki about that. And, and, and I believe his precise quote is for a freshman to do that. That's big time. So big confidence booster, big confidence oh, yeah. booster. And just to show Eric, the leadership you want from a point guard, regardless of his age, Eric, I was told by you that the season was over last week. So, um, 
is the season still over in your mind? If they lose on Saturday at USF, it is. That's, I mean, that's great. You know, this is great. Beating Memphis is fine. I would argue that Memphis still has some problems, and it probably starts with the guy with the suit and tie calling plays there. He apparently can recruit, but maybe can't coach. Whatever. That's Memphis's problem. Um, I would argue their best head coach is actually on the, uh, their assistant, Larry Brown. But here's the thing. This is a big win, but this team is not consistent. They got to prove they're consistent, and you cannot, cannot – under any circumstances, lose on Saturday at USF. And it's nothing to do with, hey, it's the well, NCAA that's, no. that's pretty obvious considering South Florida is number 256 yeah, in the Yeah, thank net. you. Right. That is, uh, I mean, that is, <laughs> that is abysmal. I, and that will crush, I mean, the net rankings are going to drop even if you win by 50 in that game. Mm-hmm. You lose that game, woo, that's a, like a missile. So, no, this team, ha- this is a game-by-game situation here. You're all, you know, you, this is the problem. The league is so down this year that you're playing USF twice. You're playing teams like Tulane, who suppose is playing well, but their, their net rankings is in the 150s. These are all like little bombs that could just torpedo your resume if you drop a game or two. So, no, the margin for error is still very thin. It was big to get the Memphis win. I agree with you, Kyle. I think the postponement of the Tulsa game was huge. This team needed to regroup in the worst way in the last week. But they got to bring it out now consistently. And they have struggled in Tampa the last couple of times they've traveled there. So, I, I know I think this is not a time to celebrate and think that this is still uh, on the edge here, in my opinion. Well, let's let's look at these net rankings here. OK, Houston is the number one team in, from the American at four in the net. And I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, Joe Lunardi in, in one of his more recent bracketologies, he didn't even have Houston in his top 16, Correct. despite them being fourth in the net, which is really surprising to me. Well, it's not because, and again, this is why numbers, you can't depend everything on numbers. Houston is not the same team right now that they were in November. They have had injuries, including to their best player, Marcus Sasser. So I think Joe Lenardi is basically adjusting it, and I think the committee will do the same because they've done this in the past. In fact, if you remember the year that Cincinnati was number one in the country and then Kenyon Martin broke his leg, Right, and and that's I think the committee got and my burned. Nets drafted him. Your Nets, and he had a good career. In fairness, he helped you get very to the good fight. career. I loved him with the Nets. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. The committee got burned on that because they didn't adjust him, and they got lost in the early rounds. And I think since then, the committee's made a conscious effort to like if an injury, if the team is not the same without that player, then they'll drop. Now Houston has a, plenty of time to prove that they're still very good and could be a top sixteen seed without Marcus Sasser. But I think that's why Joe did that uh, if, you know, not speaking on his behalf. But look, I mean, UCF, you mentioned the bubble. They're in that, you know, first four out and things. Like the, the Memphis win helps. The Miami win helps. Uh, Michigan, you need Michigan to figure things out soon. Please, please, Jawan, help. Um, really would love to have gotten that FSU game on the schedule too, by the way. We might have to ask Coach Dawkins. Is there any chance? Please, Coach. Anyway, um, but look, I mean, that's the league. I mean, it's a tough year for the league. I think it's a two bid, maybe three at best, three. I gotta, I, I gotta update everything here. Uh, Lenardi's latest bracketology came out yesterday. This is up to the up to yesterday. <laughs> um, he does have Houston back in it as fifteen. There you go. He's got UCF in the next four out, along with Michigan. Interestingly yeah. enough. Um, 
let's see, what else? He's got Memphis as one of the last four in. Well, that was so, actually I know that I, I saw that. That was prior to the Memphis UCF game. Right, right. So I he you think he might you know, he and or the committee may flip that now? Well, I mean, he might. I mean, he may flip it, or he may just take Memphis out and brings the, the whoever the next team was that you know into the field. But it's again, this is January. I think we're still a few weeks away from really having a better grasp of the field. I think uh, right now in February. I, I right now it's still too early. We're still early in conference play from that standpoint. But again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not lose on Saturday in Tampa. <laughs> Do not lose. And again, I it, it because. 256, man, That I'm telling you, I've seen this with the numbers. It will kill your resume. So can this team be consistent, Kyle? That's my question to you. Are you confident they can show up and be consistent on Saturday? I love the game with Darius. Darren Green was solid, but I'll be honest. There was parts during that game in the Memphis, and we were talking in the chat room about it. It's like, who's going to be that next guy that steps up? You know, Mayhan struggled again. You know, the consistency. That's my concern, Kyle. Well, when, I was about to ask you what you meant by consistency, and if you're talking about uh, about play for individuals, yeah, that has been a struggling yes. point. But as far as this team, they have shown the ability as a team to be consistent. What threw it off? I think, and this is going to be this is going to be something that's going to sound odd. And and like I said, Drew, I, I mentioned Drew making this point after the Michigan game that it was a negative uh, because you can't repeat it. I think the Michigan game was a negative. Because they were trying to repeat it. This is not a team that wins basketball games with two guys breaking 20. What you saw against Memphis is how UCF is best suited to win games. Multiple dudes with, um, what was it I wrote or said here? Multiple dudes, um, double digits, one off the bench. I believe it said exactly that at the last Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. And my friends, what in the bleeding earth just happened last night? I'm not saying. I'm well, not saying. And I was, I'm going to add to that. Defensively, well, intensity-wise, <clears throat> they brought it too. Yeah, defensively. Yeah, yeah, and I think be, that's be, the be, other part, missing piece of the identity. Ever since, ever since Johnny Dawkins stepped on this campus, their identity has been defense. And we, I thought, to, I thought the Memphis game was their best performance considering the opponent, the talent level, the stakes. I thought their defensive intensity, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, protecting the rim, forcing turnovers, getting in people's faces – you know, uh, contesting shots. I thought that was the most encouraging thing for me. If they can bring that every night, you know, offense comes and goes, right? Shots some nights go in, some nights don't. But you can bring your defense every night. And if they do that, that's where they can become, they can make it to the tournament and go on a run here. Can I? Perry's Perry called for it after the Temple loss in the post game, and they delivered. Yeah, they looked like a different team opening that game. Go ahead, Jeff. Now, I was going to say, Let's look at this box score here for a second. Please. Because UCF got out-rebounded by four, 41-37. They got out-offensive rebounded, 17-11. That's your key. They got, they got out-blocked, 6-5. to five. Uh, And, you know, even though Memphis, they did force Memphis into 19 turnovers, UCF did have 16 turnovers of their own. So I could make the argument that, okay, they didn't really play the optimal game here. And still won by double digits. Sure. Well, and that's how you balance out. That's how you balance. They didn't have the optimal game. And if you're a Memphis fan, you balance that out. Well, we could have won because we had our guys out. But I'll see that and raise you this. Uh, Remember, I deal numbers and such for a living, and numbers can lie. 
The offensive rebounding advantage that you see for Memphis is clearly the reason, A, that they out-rebounded UCF. You can, But you could put that down to a couple of exchanges where Memphis had multiple offensive rebounds. I remember two of them in particular had three attempts on the same particular uh, series, so to speak, and failed to score. And I don't think that's as much as a rebounding defense, uh, a rebounding disadvantage, rather, but more speaking to Elo's point about defense being the bigger deal there. I wish we could <clears throat> go back and like, I, I wish that it, you don't have to um, do math and to figure out possessions in basketball, because like to me, the offensive rebound, all those offensive rebounds equated to one empty possession. Yeah. Or two, I think it was two in this case. Two, uh, yeah. Two empty possessions. So, um, all right. So you talked about South Florida, Eric, they're struggling. Number 256. Uh, it is a road game. Uh, folks are going to be heading down there. Um, but this is this is a game that y- you just you just have to take care of business, right? Yeah, don't let them hang around. I mean, that was the thing that was yeah. disappointing about the Temple game. You had a couple times in that Temple game where you could have put This game's game on away. ESPNU, by the way. The Memphis game was on ESPN+. Plus. The South Florida game is going to be on ESPNU. What's up with that? Competing, called, competing resources <laughs> and it's also called the uh, counter programming to the national football league playoffs let's trust me they're not putting marquee college basketball teams aren't going up against college the nfl playoffs okay <laughs> let's who we can we throw out there as a sacrificial lamb hey there's ucf and usf let's throw that one in well um, well south florida is five and ten oh and three in the conference they've opened up with a 17 point loss to houston at home a 14-point loss at Tulane, and a 12-point loss at SMU. So they're off. Not an easy start to the conference schedule, but that makes me more nervous because they're going to win a game or two at some point in the conference. And again, my guess is if they're going to have a crowd at all this year, Saturday night's usually when they're going to probably show up for that game. They're going to wear the slime jerseys and all that. God, I hope not. I hate those things. Well, they (laughs) are. That's whatever reason they've decided that's their traditional uh, look for whatever when they play UCF. So, But look. I wouldn't call it traditional, but anyway. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> uh, UCF's got to be ready and focused to play. Uh, bring that temp- defensive intensity. Put them away. Don't let them hang around. Give them confidence. Again, this is a big game because it, you cannot lose this game because this will crush your net rankings. This will crush your resume. Uh, Drew Glukoff, I think, is going to cover that game for us. He better bring us a win, Kyle. He better bring <laughs> us a win. Hey, well, listen. Now- uh, I, I can't promise anything when it comes to Drew. You know, he's a bit of a loose cannon and we love him for it. But you're talking a lot of obstacle with that USF game. And I'm going to pair this with ECU. I see opportunity, okay? What's the way? You're looking for that consistency, Elo. What's the way to get Brayden and Mayhan more involved? You get him trending upward on a cycle. And when you have a game that's not a huge, marquee, tough defense, you expect kind of a game like Memphis – you give Brandon Mayhem the opportunity to start climbing up that ladder to where he could be useful again against the tougher opponents. I'm not asking for Michigan, but I am asking for something where he's going to to be a, a, a threat and a contributing factor in the game in question. And, and listen, at the end of the day, let's not confuse inconsistency also with a change in identity, right? This is a group that can can start with different guys. Again, we saw Isaiah Adams in the starting lineup, if I remember correctly, Jeff. You know, mm-hmm. all that going on. Say what you will about Mahan 
not being involved. It's one thing when he only has like three shots or something. Now, granted, Memphis, to your point, Elo, is absolutely correct. Two for nine ain't going to do it. <laughs> no, that's not. But, but you mentioned but, opportunity. You mentioned the magic word, opportunity. Yeah, the next three exactly. games at USF, at ECU, Tulane. Opportunity. Three wins right there for the taking. Get three mm-hmm. wins right there. You're going to be favored in all three games. This is the this is we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out in the next three games. Is this team finding themselves? Are they gonna be consistent performers? Is this an NCAA tournament team or are they gonna be continuing to be up and down? We're gonna find out. And in the next uh three. and uh, by the way, I I, I not that I want to speak too soon or anything here, but uh so that temple loss, by the way, looks less and less hurtful. No, it's bad. <laughs> more, it's still bad. The more still temple bad. plays. Yeah, they continue to move up in the in the uh, in the net rankings. They're three and two in the conference, and uh, by the way, they they won at Tulsa. I think Temple's actually better than people think. They're, Tulsa's uh, uh, had two players just disqualified from their team because they're not academically eligible. So, <laughs> well, here's well, here's what Temple did. They're, they've moved they moved up five spots. They're ten and six. They uh, moved up five spots in the net to one eighteen. Uh, t- uh, Tulane, by the way, who beat Wichita State last night in Wichita on a charge call in the final seconds, terrible. Uh, moved up to uh, one twenty-four, and they're seven and seven. So, you know, yes, the yes the the league as a whole is down, yeah, it's but it feels like the bottom is kind of coming up a little bit. That's going to help UCF a little bit, no? If Temple can crack the top hundred, that's the key magic number there. If you can crack, if they can crack the top hundred, that definitely softens the blow. You what you try to avoid. By the way, they've moved up forty spots in Ken Palm since they beat UCF. Yeah, well, we helped in that. Uh, so I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's true yeah, too. That's the beauty of numbers. You could lose and help your schedule resume at the same time. Um, that's the key. Great top hundred. Uh, the bottom line is win games. Now, you might get a mulligan here. If we're going to say Temple's a mulligan. Hopefully, yeah, I agree. Keep winning, Temple. Keep winning because that makes, softens the blow. But you can't lose to USF. You can't lose to East Carolina. You can't, you know, these are the games you of have course. to avoid. Like, no, no, but there's, you can't drop these games. Like, you can lose to Houston. It's not the end of the world. You can lose to SMU. It's not the end of the world. You lose to a USF game with the resume they have or a East Carolina. That is the that hurts a lot. You can't recover from that. So that's well, you know the key. I'll say this in Jeff's defense because he's been very civil and there hasn't been much bickering today. So I, I have to do some. I have to bring a little conflict to have some good radio here, gentlemen. And what I'll say is this, Eric: if that is your biggest criticism and thing to worry about, then guess what? Things are trending in the right direction. Yeah. Just 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 give me consistency like the young ladies have. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later with uh, with Bryson as UCF women's basketball got off to a uh, got a huge win against Houston. We'll break that down in in the uh, third segment. But uh, I got some history to talk about there. Three decades. Yes, yes, quite a bit. So uh, the student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, joining us here to talk men's basketball. Uh, Kyle, where can people reach out to you if they want to know more about what you're doing? Well, as always, of course, you'll find me here hanging out with the black and gold banneret. And I'm not going to say it wrong while I prop it here because I don't want to <laughs> look like a dumbass in front of the boss again. But, <laughs> of course, you can find my work on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com. Um, find me on Twitter 
at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG. Find me on Facebook as the student of the game um, with all the good work there. Gentlemen, a lot of fun. I like that you two behave today. Uh, I mean, it's early <laughs> in the show. I mean, we only just got started. Uh, listen, we're going to, uh, hey, can you stick around to talk uh, to talk women's hoops too? Cool. Yeah, no, I'm all about okay. it. Okay. All right. Uh, stick around. When we get back, our interview with Mackenzie Milton, who uh, talked with us last Saturday. We're going to replay that interview for you. And when we return, and then after that, Bryson Turner's going to join us. We're all going to talk women's basketball because that team is on a roll right now. And, and a new number a 10 on the football team, one. by the way. Yes, huge game coming. Up. And we have plenty more to talk about with football as well when we talk about the transfer portal and everything. Lots of stuff to get to here in this next segment. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, Jeff Sharon here along with Eric Lopez and Bryson Turner. And this is something that I personally and we collectively have been waiting. We, we couldn't wait to do this at some point. And finally, we're, it's, it's, we're, it, we're finally making it happen. You can tell how actually nervous I am actually doing this. Uh, joining us now is, um, well, let's just call it like it is probably the greatest player in UCF history, arguably. Um, and not just that, but one of the most inspirational people you're ever going to come across. Uh, quarterback for UCF from 2016 to, through 2020, just finished his collegiate career at Florida State and will be participating in the Hula Bowl, his last opportunity to play on the field at the bounce house will be on the will be at the Hula Bowl Saturday, January fifteenth. Tickets are available now, and make sure you get there because this is our this is our opportunity to send off one of the greats to ever put on the black and gold. Mackenzie Milton joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. KZ, what is up? Thank you so much for joining us. What's going on, Jeff? Appreciate appreciate you guys having me, man. I appreciate you taking time for us. I know it's a busy time for you right now. You you got so much so much going on. I mean, you always have, right? Like you, you, but with the Hula Bowl coming up, with the stuff you're doing with Dreamfield, with you know, and you're also, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, it, and we'll ask about this later. You're like you're transitioning out from being a college player. I'm sure you're going to measure your options, but um, I want to start with by asking you about the Hula Bowl, and you are doing actually a really cool thing where um, half the proceeds from the ticket sales are going to the family of the late Otis Anderson, who we all knew. Um, mm -hmm. And it's still as shocking to us as I'm sure it is to you that he's gone. Um, what, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but like, give me your thought process and, you know, when you decided to make, to do that for the Hula Bowl and for his family. You know, initially, um, I knew leading up to the Hula Bowl, you know, I'd be in Orlando and, you know, there was, I just wanted to do something for Otis um, and his family just to, just to continue to honor him. Um, I think it's easy to, when it's fresh, when something like that happens to, you know, kind of <clears throat> rally around him, rally around his family. But, you know, as time goes on, you know, I don't want his memory to, to just kind of go away. You know what I mean? To me, he needs to continue to live on through each and every one of us and, you know, he had a huge impact on me, not just in football, but just as a person, man, just always being positive, always, always happy. And he's just a, just a great young man. And, you know, 
you know, just gone too soon. But, you know, I, I know one day we'll see him again. And, you know, initially, you know, I wanted to have a hula bowl after party, which we still are doing at Elixir Orlando. And, you know, I'll be signing autographs and probably charging $10 an autograph. But all those proceeds will be going to um, his mom, Dee Anderson. And, uh, you know, just I just feel like we need to be there for her. Uh, I know money can't change the situation, but to me, it's just more so about, Oh, continuing to, to live on through us. And, you know, I was able to partner with the hula bowl and, you know, being able to make this happen for, for them as well. And, you know, to me, it's only right, you know, Oh, Oh, make me look good a lot of times on the field. So, you know, I think it's, it's only right to honor him with, you know, me being able to step on that, on that field one more time. And, you know, I just, yeah, you know, O's family to me and yeah, just tough situation, but, to me, it just needs to continue to live on through all of us. What what, what do you remember? Tell me something about your relationship with Otis, like about him as a person that that we as the media and the fans didn't see that you'll always remember about him. <laughs> He's just funny, man. He's a quirky dude. Um, kind of like a little brother to me. He came in the spring after uh, my freshman year and we knew he'd have an immediate impact, but and he sure did on the field, but just in the locker room, just as a person, as a friend, family, like, I really can't express, like, how, how he was and how he is. We just had to be around him because he was so infectious and in how, in how he is. And, yeah, just, you know, I smile just thinking about him, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of impact he had on me. Do you have a favorite play with him? I mean, I had we had Adam Amin on a couple of years ago in the show, and he brought up that screenplay that you hit him up against South Florida in 2017 to go up. Uh, look, at the time, we thought it was going to put the game away. That's a memorable play. He's had so many memorable plays. Do you have one with him? Is that one that stands out? Yeah, you know, that the screen is up there for sure. You know, we talk about that all the time. I told him before the play, I was like, I'm like oh, it's going to be quick. I knew they're bringing a boundary pressure. Like, oh, it's going to be quick. And, you know, he he always managed to make the plays. And, you know, I think we just kind of have a, had a level of comfortability back there with each other. This, and even when he was in the slot, making big plays, sparking us at times. And whether it's punt returns against Pitt, um, screens against Auburn, he made a lot of big plays, man. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't win all those games without Otis Anderson. That's for sure. One play that has really been uh, brought up with Otis uh, after Otis's passing was the time where he flashed the deuce as he ran into the end zone for the touchdown. And of course that was a tribute that Brian O'Keefe gave to, to the late running back when he ran for a touchdown during the Gasparilla bowl. Were you watching that game? And what were you, what were you thinking when you know, when you noticed that? You know, I, I was watching the game. I was in the stands and, you know, I saw, I saw O'Keefe throw it up and, man just divine intervention and just the fact that they're both the same distance you know and those are just two legendary moments in UCF history and yeah like Ryan O'Keefe is a great player now and he's gonna do great things but to me that's just divine intervention and just shows that O's still still with us you know what I you know what I remember about this whole thing is I, I think it's really emphasized how tight of a and i know people think of this as like a cliche but it, i think it just really emphasized how tight the ucf football community is it really is like a family and i really think that that 
um, and due respect to all, you know, all the players and coaches before you, but I, I think that you were so instrumental in creating that, you know, obviously Ohana in, in, in the Hawaiian native language means family. And yeah, you as a quarterback, take me back to when you first came here and, you know, as a freshman under Scott Frost and, and learning how to be a college quarterback and really learning the game at the collegiate level, how did you approach like building the connections with your teammates that you became so famous for? You know, I just think just be who you are, you know what I mean? And you know, I was born and raised in Hawaii and, you know, every, everything there was just kind of tight knit. Everybody just kind of took care of each other. And, you know, that's just kind of how I was raised. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm considered what's a quote unquote Howley back home, which is considered an outsider, but you know, I never felt like that back home and, you know, you know, people back home, Polynesians, Samoans, Hawaiians, they treated me as if I was one of their own. And, you know, just for me, you know, I carry that culture with me wherever I go. And, um, yeah, you know, if, we, if a guy needs a helping hand here or anything there. And, and I think just the passion that we play with back home too, just, I think you kind of see that in the way I would play too. And, uh, and I think guys can rally around something like that when, you know, you see a guy selling out and, you know, practicing what he preaches. And um, To me in a locker room, you can spot a phony a mile away. And, you know, that's not something I would ever want to be. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's times in my freshman year where, you know, I had to go through some growing pains on and off the field. And, you know, I feel like I had to go through that to just grow up, you know what I mean? And um, I feel like those lessons learned kind of helped us you know, get over that hump from my freshman year to accomplish what we did the following years. Your presence ended and actually ended up from you know we had Dylan Gabriel, of course, come in with the with from Hawaii as well. But and now we have Lokahai Paole on the offensive line. Herkley Latu transferred here from BYU. Can you just talk about talk about how you kind of how about bringing a bit of Hawaii with you to UCF and how you feel like it's impacted this community? Yeah, you know, I, I know I was the first um, athlete from Hawaii to to enroll at the school, and you know that's a that's a huge honor for me to you know just kind of <clears throat> break those barriers down for for kids back home to to get out here to Florida, Florida school, and to me, you know, I you know I want to put Hawaii on the map, and you know, guys I looked up to growing up, Manti Teo, Marcus Mariota, they did that for me, and. You know, if it wasn't for Mariota doing what he did, you know, I probably wouldn't have got recruited by Scott Frost. So uh, I think guys setting the foundation and then, you know, guys continuing to do that kind of stuff just provides more opportunities for guys like myself back home. And, you know, Dylan coming here, that was special for me because, you know, he was a freshman when I was a senior in, in high school. And it's, it's kind of funny. I got hurt my senior year and he came in and did really well his freshman year of high school. So it was kind of a, kind of a similar thing and you know he's he's gonna do his thing at Oklahoma you know I don't fault him one bit for for going elsewhere but you know what he did here you know he he was a special player for us at UCF as well Lokahi's doing really well um and yeah you know just this Hawaii pipeline you know I hope it continues to be a thing and that's you know why I want to stay you know kind of in this involved in UCF as long as I can because I want to keep getting guys out here from from Hawaii because, you know, there's a special brand of football that, that we play back home. I was, th I was thinking back to the, um, you know, when I, when I think of you, I think of 
that offseason between your freshman and your sophomore year. You made a leap that I've never seen a player at any level make from it. not to say that you had a, a bad freshman year, but like you said, it was rough at times. Like you know, you had it ten touchdowns, seven interceptions, and then all of a sudden you go from, you know, fifty seven percent and and it bears out in the stats, right? You go from fifty seven percent to sixty seven percent completion percentage. 10 touchdowns to 37 and the team goes from six and seven to 13 and zero and a national championship claim. And I just remember watching every game that year and thinking at times, Oh my God, like, whatever. Here, here's a good example of it. There, you've probably seen this YouTube video. Somebody put up a YouTube video of every 40 plus yard touchdown from UCF in 2017. And I remember watching every single one of these things, either live in person or on TV and thinking, oh, my God, this is too easy. How is this happening? And it was and it was watching you play. You just look like you were in a zone. How did you go from that freshman who was dealing with all of the with that difficult transition to a, a master of the game in that following season? What happened? How did it happen? You know, I think just just buying in in the spring, um, you know, helped me. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know, you know, we just had a special, we had a special team. I had special guys around me. I had a lot of NFL guys around me too, which helps, you know what I mean? And Coach Ross, Coach Verdusco, Coach Walters, they put me in great situations. And, you know, there, there wasn't a time where, you know, I was out there and I, I felt uncomfortable. You know, I stayed healthy the whole season, which helped a lot too. And, you know, we were just clicking on all cylinders. Guys knew their jobs. We knew exactly what to do. And we just executed. Um, even my freshman year, you know, it was, it was tough. But, you know, I knew, like, I knew I wasn't playing my best brand of football. It was a little banged up at times. Uh, just kind of had to go through those growing pains as a freshman, you know. And um, But to me, I'm just one cog in the wheel of success. And... Without, like I said, Coach Frost, Coach Verduzco, those guys putting me in great situations and having guys like Trey Kwan, Gabe Davis, Dredrick Snelson, um, Jordan Akins, and all those little fast running backs, you know, I'm, I'm not putting up those kind of numbers. Um, and that's just the reality. And, you know, I think you can kind of, you know, see that in, in other years I've played. Uh, you're only a product of the, of the things around you. You know what I mean? You got to – you got to have – right people supporting you and you got to have the it's all got to mesh it's all because if it's like that if it's like that when it's like that it can be great and that's what it was in 2017 and 2018 chemistry team yes, chemistry. Sir. it's yes, so sir. underrated man isn't it yes sir yes sir now you've got a unique connection here because you played for coach frost you played for coach mm -hmm. heupel and i believe yep. you've met coach malzahn recently and of course obviously faced him in that peach bowl so you have a connection right. to the th last three ucf head coaches uh, can you describe your experiences, you know, beating Gus and what you think he'll bring to the program? As you obviously have mentioned, you want to be around the program and help. Yeah. So, I mean, under coach Frost, like that's like a big brother slash father figure to me. And, um, you know, I, I owe him everything, you know, he gave me, gave me the opportunity to create a name for myself out here. And yeah, like, you know, I still talk to him to this day and, you know, that's family. And Coach Heupel, he came in and, you know, I think the biggest thing for him, he helped, helped me just be accountable to, 
you know, continuing to be a leader and continuing to progress my game. And that's another guy that's like a big brother slash father figure. And, you know, I have great relationships with those guys and I love those guys. And, you know, I'm grateful to have learned from both them and, you know, when and if I do get into coaching, I'm going to run what I, what I ran with them. Cause in my mind, those are two of the best offensive minds in college football. Um, Coach Malzahn, I've had the pleasure of talking to him and meeting him a few times now since, since the season has ended. And, uh, just a just a wonderful dude. Um, obviously, he's a great coach. I mean, the the proof is in the pudding of what he's done in the past. Um, but what I'm seeing from him is just like he's really in it. Like he, you can tell he loves being here, and you can see the kind of guys he's going to bring in, the kind of recruits he's going to bring in. Um, I'm excited to see see what they do, and uh, in whatever way I can help out with the university, you know, I'm going to do that. I don't think it's going to be from a coaching aspect at this point, because in all honesty, like I really, I really don't want to. I want, I want, I want to play as long as I can. But as much as I can help these these guys, if, if it's outside of football, NIL stuff, um, you know, that's what I want to do. I, <clears throat> for me right now, I'm still in the mindset as a player, not so much a coach. Um, but golly, I, I think this, and even uh, Terry Mahajer, our AD. He's a great, great, great addition to to UCF, and he has big visions as well. And you know, we got the right people running the ship, and you know, I'm super excited to see where this thing goes. Well, you mentioned you're a player, and uh, it was surreal to see you play on the field this year. And that Labor Day night, I think the moment of the year in college football, and you got on that field, an emotional night, led him to that touchdown against Notre Dame. It's going to be awesome to see you in the bounce house. What was it like to be back on the field this season? Uh, how did you feel when you were on the field? Did you ever at any moment during the year felt like 2017 or 2018 physically? Um, yeah, you know, physically I felt good. You know, I, don't, I truthfully don't like wearing the brace while I play. You know, I'm going to try to get to a point where I can play out of it. Um, so I'm continuing to just work hard and rehab and strengthen and everything in there. Uh, once I get the green light from the doctor, you know, I'm going to do that. And uh, I've already kind of started practicing without it, like all my drills and stuff like that. I'm not in it the only time I was in it during the season was during games. Uh, so, you know, eventually I just want to be, just feel like a true athlete again in, in terms of not wearing any like bulky gear and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> in all honesty, no, I can't say I felt like it was 2017 or 2018 just because for a variety of reasons. And I, I really don't want to get into all that. Um, you know, I have my, my own kind of feelings about that stuff and uh you know, it just kind of is what it is. You know, it was, a, it was a blessing to get back out there. You know, I loved the relationships I built at, at FSU and the guys I was around. Um, to me, it was a great learning experience. And, uh, you know, just to me, you know, I don't I don't want excuses, you know, for myself. Uh, I'm hungry and that's why I'm, I'm training for the NFL. And, you know, I'm going to continue to bust my butt for that. So you're so you're aiming right now after the Hula Bowl is over your 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 aim is i want to get to the nfl get an invite to the combine work out do what i have to and get picked that's that's what's next for mckenzie milton is that right yeah i mean whatever happens happens you know i know there's a lot of a lot of things that aren't going to be in control um you know whether it's you know passing physicals and stuff like that with team doctors you know that's just kind of it's cutthroat in the nfl i know how it is yeah but you know, I know what I can still do with a football in my hand um, when I'm put in the right situations. And, you know, I just 
yeah, and, that, and that's and that's why I'm gonna continue to do it. I feel like I owe it to myself. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't want to come back just to come back. You know, getting out there against Notre Dame was great. I still feel like we should have won that game if you know we might have called it a little different, but it just kind of is what it is. Um, but nah, man, I'm I'm excited. You know, I'm training hard right now out in Orlando, working with uh, Steve Calhoun as my quarterback coach, and you know we're getting things dialed away, cleaning up mechanics. You know, I don't think I was super clean mechanically this year in terms of uh, arm slot and footwork and stuff like that. So. You know, I think it was great for me to get back out there to get my feet wet. In all honesty, it re reminded me a lot of my freshman year, uh, just with, you know, kind of how the team played, kind of how, you know, I played. And, you know, I missed some throws here, make some throws there, flashes here, flashes there, but it wasn't clicking how it should have been. And, you know, I think that stuff takes time. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to get back out there, but, you know, I'm not where I want to be yet. And, you know, I'm just going to continue to progress. It was the time off, wasn't it? Because like, I mean, we still saw like even in the even in that Notre Dame game, like even going back and watching, especially those last couple possessions in regulation. You, I, I felt like it was kind of a benefit for you to come off the bench rather than start because it was all of a sudden it's like okay, you're in now, right? It mm -hmm. was like it's like what uh, Daryl Green called your right now moment. And you didn't, yeah. and I felt like like you didn't have time to sort of think about it too much, and yeah. all of a sudden, bang, you're making throws. And I remember I was I was watching the game with my family, and I was like I was like jumping out of my seat and like trying to fight back tears at the same time because I'm like, oh yeah. my God, he's back, you know? It's so it's it, it, how is it you know when you look back on that and and like where you are right now, do you still feel like there's a long road ahead and you're still, and, and there's something, you know, you're paving new ground for yourself or is like, okay, I've been down sort of down this road before. I know I can get back to where I was. Nah, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm far off at all. You know, honestly, I feel like, like there's a lot of, a lot of external, you know, factors going on this year up at FSU that, you know, like I said, I'm not really going to get into all that, but, um, you know, I was grateful for my time there, but I don't think I'm far off at all in terms of being able to play at a high level. You know, I, I see all these quarterbacks coming out this year, and I don't see I don't see them doing anything that I can't do. And Neither that's do just all honesty. Yeah, and that's just all <laughs> honesty. You know, I see Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. I played against both those guys, and you know, we both know how we all know how you know those games went, and. And I've been watching, I watch a lot of college football and you know, I've, I watch all these guys that are projected to go first round and, you know, it gets me excited while I'm training. It makes me very excited. Well, let me ask you, this is my, my last question. You're going to be playing in the bounce house one more yeah. time, which is an amazing story considering the, the, your story. What's going to go through your mind when you get into that stadium and get on that field? I'm sure it'll be a little emotional, but I'm just going to let it rip and have fun, you know, just just like I always do. Um, you know, I'll be playing with Cole Schneider and hopefully Big Cat's on our team too, and I'll be playing with a couple of my FSU guys too. So I'm just going to have fun out there, um, <clears throat> do my best to put on a show for the scouts, put on a show for the fans, and we got a thick playbook, so I need to study that. But, but. <laughs> I was say, man, it's an all-star game. Like they can't do, too, they can't throw too much at they at you, can they? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but, but no, nah, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to get around, you know, guys from other schools and just 
you know, just have fun out there. Just have fun. You know, you talked about how even though you're going to be continu uh, continuing your playing career or going for that, you talked about how you still obviously be willing to help every everybody when it comes to name, image, and likeness stuff. And of course, you've been involved with Dream with Dreamfield. How has that been with NIL now really becoming as big as it has become? And I noticed that you're going to be hosting that mission comeback thing at Burger U with Isaiah Bowser, Alex Ward, Sam, ja Sam Jackson, like, like what, what's it been like work, work, working with them and, and taking this, I guess, um, mentor or at least a helping hand role in this new developing space in college athletics. Yeah, it's been really cool. You know, um, honestly, like, you know, the injury was tough, but, you know, being, being a college athlete in this, day and age this last year with NIL and stuff and just being on the forefront of that and just having a intricate part in that has been a blessing in itself. So you know, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And then, you know, I come back here after, after finishing up at FSU and just being able to help these guys. Um, and to me, like you said earlier, uh, Jeff, it's a, it's a, it's a real community out here with the UCF. And, you know, I think that's something we kind of want to kind of a direction we want to go with this NIL deal um get everybody that loves UCF like we love UCF to be engaged with these athletes in one way or another and it, it doesn't got to be just catered to football it could be women's volleyball women's soccer basketball and stuff like that so I, we got big plans ahead and you know I think in the near future we're going to have uh, some cool things rolling out here uh involved with Dreamfield and really a lot of the student athletes at, at UCF and just creating creating buzz because I feel like you know, we have 60,000 plus people going to our school and, you know, we're having a bunch of new fresh alumni that are excited about what's going on. And, you know, when you graduate, it's like, man, you still want to be a part of it. Right. And, um, you know, that's how I am because, you know, I love UCF and I feel like that's how a lot of the alumni base is too. So that's what I feel like it's all about. It's when it's 10, 10 Hana, one Ohana is one family and it's not just, not just catered to, the football is catered to the, the whole night community and and anybody that touches really that makes me so happy too and i know it makes eric and bryson too because i mean you know that we we have spent you know since i was a student and since eric was a student you know we also you know have been tooting the horn of it's not just football and men's basketball you know there's a lot of great sports here just like we see in like every other university you saw you caught a glimpse of it at fsu how seriously that they take not just football and men's basketball, but everything. Yeah, and and that's that's something that we have to keep pushing here at UCF, right? No, I absolutely, and you know, I think um, I think the sky's the limit. Not not even the limit for UCF because you know we're we're a space school, so that's definitely not the limit. And um, no, nah, I no, nah, I truly do believe that UCF has the potential, and and honestly, will be the the top school in Florida in the near future, and in, in all aspects, um, it's a special place, very special place. Well, we were blessed to have you here when we did, and we're thankful for there were all the great moments that you've given us, and you still have yet to give us, not just in the Hula Bowl coming up a week from Saturday, but in the future, if it's in the NFL, if it's in the USFL, which is coming online too, which I know you probably have one eye on as well, you know, just in case. There's a lot of opportunities that are out there, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And to see you also, um, you know, 
dive into business as you have. You know, and what was your major? I forget what your major was. Sports and exercise science. Okay. And then, then yeah. did you get your master's at FSU as well? Uh, I got a master's certificate in coaching up there. Okay. And I'll be finishing up my master's this spring, actually, here at UCF. Okay, good. Well, in advance, congratulations for that. But I know that, Thank like you. you said earlier, coaching's not – everyone on Twitter, after you see it, everyone's like, oh, Coach KZ, he's going to come out. And you're like, hold up. Not yet. I'm not done yet, right? Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Um, I don't know when. You know, I think eventually, yes. But, you know, right now, just – you know, I got to – I got to still exhaust, exhaust playing, man. Got I don't to. blame you. I don't blame you, man. It, 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 it's, you know, I, I never got the chance to play. Eric never got the chance to play. Bryson never got the, But we always say, like, if we were in, 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 in those shoes, we'd be like, you'll have to drag us off the field. You know, like, we're going to exhaust every opportunity to. And whatever it is that you have coming in your future, we know you're going to be successful at it because you've shown it before for us and we as fans are thankful for that so before we let you, you go mckenzie just give us the give us the sales pitch on what's going on this week what events you have planned and how fans can follow you and and see what's going on yeah this sunday uh six o'clock at burger U. you know we're gonna be honoring all these super seniors that are coming out it's just a little meet and greet you know what i mean get some some good food burgers wings whatever you want from burger U and just come hang out with, with some of the guys and myself and, you know, we're excited. We're excited that, you know, these, these guys that help build this culture are staying around for, for one more year and, and really hopefully going to lead us to another conference championship because I feel like that's the potential that this team has after, you know, seeing what they did to Florida and seeing the, the new pieces that are coming in. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about the future. All right, and then a week of practice, and then the Hula Bowl on set on uh, Saturday the fifteenth. What what time is kickoff for the game? Noon, baby. Noon kick. Noon, baby. All right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you there, Mackenzie Milton, the great. I, I it's it's easy to say this, the great Mackenzie Milton, joining us on the Black and Gold Banner podcast. KZ, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything that you've given to us as fans, and uh, best of luck. We'll see you uh, on the field in the bounce house uh, in a little bit more than a week, man. Appreciate y'all, man. Wow. Special thanks to the to the GOAT, Mackenzie Milton. Um, and by the way, of course, we recorded that interview on Saturday. Um, you know, we're recording this podcast Friday. on Thursday. We recorded Friday? It, yeah, I believe we recorded okay. Friday. All right. So um, so Mackenzie is uh, practicing for the Hula Bowl on Saturday. We will see him there. Bryson is with us along with Eric. The really and... cool dual helmet, by the way. Have you guys seen that on Twitter? I did. Yeah, I did see that. It was pretty cool, though. I'm kind of sad. Like, you know, I wanted to UCF. But, of course, the dual helmet. But um, uh, And Kyle is sticking around with us, too, here, too. So, um, Eric, I want to start with you. Um, I think the news here is Mackenzie's not going into coaching right away, right? Cor- I mean, he's, he's going to try. He's going to try and he's going to try and his hand at the NFL. I, I did mention to him, obviously, the, the USFL being a possibility. I don't think that's something he kind of smirked at that. I I don't think that's an op- that's something that he should throw out just just yet as a possibility. But he's going to take his shot at the pros, and rightfully so. Yeah, I think that's his dream. I think it was fascinating to hear him. I mean, he mentioned Kenny Pickett and Desmond Ritter, and I think he feels he's just as good as those guys. I feels- that was my favorite part of the whole interview, by the way. He was where he's kind of like, "Yeah, I saw yeah. Kenny Pickett." He's like, "I, yeah, we can, 
<laughs> it's not. Yeah, I mean, and he felt like he could play better without the brace. I thought that was interesting comments there. So that look, made me I nervous, mean, but okay. But that's him, man. I think he wants. He, I don't think he made all. He did all this hard work just to like. All right, let's call it a day. I think he generally wants to give it a shot. Uh, he's still young. I mean, he could get into coaching whenever. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that was the big story because obviously a lot of fans were like, "Hey, Gus, can you join him on the staff? Can you join him?" In? Finally, we can put that to rest. Uh, that's not happening. And I think the bigger picture, and Bryson, you covered this Sunday night event that we actually mentioned in that interview <clears> at Burger <throat> U. McKen- and you're writing a, a, about this on the banner right, to some extent about McKenzie. Is, I think McKenzie's impact with UCF is not necessarily going to be as a coach in the next few years. It's going to be more about helping UCF players, isn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, as a co-founder of NI, of NIL or of Dreamfield, which is an NIL-based company, I think Mackenzie Milton will be really big in that space and that space and will help players out in that field. Of course, Dreamfield launched uh, Michigan, did a soft launch for Mission Control, which if you know what the Gator Collective is, it's sort of like the same thing. But the difference is that Dreamfield is going to be is in complete control of it. For the moment, I can tell you that uh, Luis Partillo, the C, um, one of the other co-founders of Dreamfield, another UCF alum, by the way, told me they do intend on spinning Mission Control off into its own entity eventually, once mm-hmm. it's able to be, once that's um, possible for them to do. But as for the, but as for the moment, Mackenzie Milton's just a really great face to do to face to do this with because the UCF community loves and respects him. I'll tell you this little story. I was going to uh, inter- I interviewed Mackenzie for a few minutes during the event, and because I, I was able to pull him aside for for a minute. And as we were going out to one of those uh, tables set out outside of Burger U, so that way we can get out of the music in there, so you know they could hear me. Um, what this little girl with uh, the uh, the little perfect nights book, the book that kind of recapped the perfect 2017 season, uh, she came up to him while we were walking out with that with that book and asking him to sign it. And 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 and, you know, he was coming out and, and he was like, hey, can I do this real quick? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So, I mean, if that doesn't tell you how much he values this community then I don't know what is. And so, so the, even though he's not a, so even though he's not a coach, he, I think the impact he'll have here, regardless of what he does is huge because it's clear that he loves this place. And I think, honestly, I think that's all you really need. I mean, coaching's great, but that can wait. It also shows to me, I think how much he transcends football. Oh yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things like you don't have that many, people that come along in the history of a program that transcend the sport that they're in. And I think that he's, he's, he's definitely one of them. Kyle, I'm glad we got you in here on this as well, because um, as we progress through the off season and the transfer portal continues to be a main topic of conversation, turns out that there's another guy who may be wearing number 10 in the black and gold and playing quarterback fairly soon. He's the big story. Uh, from the transfer portal this week, John Rice Plumley, six feet tall, two hundred pounds, was a quarterback at Ole Miss and then got supplanted by Matt Corral. Uh, moved over to receiver, he dove into the portal and he has announced he is coming to UCF. This dude is fast, four three forty. Also plays baseball. Was a uh, was sort of a. Uh, a, a, an outfielder, was an outfielder for Ole Miss and very fast, can steal bases. 
But uh, this guy seems like a very Gus Malzahn-type quarterback, and uh, UCF is beefing up that quarterback room a little bit with this guy. What do we think about John Rice Plumley, and could we see him starting for UCF in 2022 if things go the way that maybe we might be projecting them to go? Well, I mean, gentlemen, let's say this, okay? At the very least with Plumlee, like the, the worst case scenario, let's say he he he's just, he totally bombs and, and, and is out of the quarterback room and he's on the roster as just a standard wide receiver or, or a pair of legs. Guys, we, the opportunity for the football team to have a good punt returner or something, they haven't had one that has matched the prowess of Otis Anderson since his departure uh, to the NFL. Uh, I got to tell you that if that's your worst case scenario is you could have a good punt returner. That's a good prospect. Like this is a utility guy, utility guy who like, you know, the tippity top is he's, you know, the quarterback that's starting and, and is in his raining down passes to a beefed up uh, now receiver core. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and, and the worst case scenario is, Hey, maybe he could be a good punt returner and delivers on that. Like that's, that's what you see from guys who can recruit well as we are alleging that Gus Malzahn can right so now can he make a difference in the quarterback room listen I don't think we've had this much disarray in the quarterback room since we had uh since we were talking about uh Brandon Wimbush DJ Mack and a very young not yet known Dylan Gabriel and Quadri Jones I think might have been there at that point mm-hmm. too like was. so they you don't have we haven't had that much di- uh disarray in the storyline um, since then, since a few years back. So with that all being said, yes, he has a possibility to start at the quarterback position. I mean, if, if there's an opportunity for him to deliver the ball with more consistency than Mikey Keene and have better legs than him, of course, he's going to get the job. Aaron, do you want to know what, do you want to know what will scare defenses with John Rice Plumley? Stick him on the opposite side of the field from Ryan O'Keefe and just, and just watch him quake in their boots and to find out which speedster could possibly get the ball. Yeah. Yeah. You better yeah. have a quick secondary, but Mike, uh, Eric, let me ask you, is, is this the guy? I don't know. We'll see. That's what the spring's going to be about. I think the question is, what is his accuracy from a passing standpoint? I think he's in the mid fifties. I think he's going to have a role on this team one way or the other. The right. question's going to be, is he going to be a starting quarterback? Is he going to be a guy that's going to line up at quarterback and run some shortage plays that we've seen Gus, Gus clearly likes to do? You know, when he takes out Mike, you know, uh, Mikey Keene out of the equation and brings in other quarterbacks like uh, you know Parker Joey Navarro to Endier and right to run plays, he's going to have a role on this team. He's got a lot of he rem- he's got some Cordell Stewart vibes to me, right? Like you're going to put him on the field and he's somewhere and he's going to help your football team. Where that is is the big question. Uh, I do think he has a legitimate shot to win the quarterback job. I think his, his he's athletic, and I think Gus wants his quarterback to have ability to run. And I don't know if 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 Mikey Keene has that. Now, if Mikey Keene improves and takes a never win the job, then so be it. I think this kid's going to have a role on this football team, one way or the other. And I think they're a better football team because he is on this roster. I think that's. The one thing I will say is they're a better football team with him on the roster. We just don't know in what in what role he will help him in yet. Uh, looking at his numbers from before at uh, Ole Miss, he actually led Ole Miss in rushing in 2019 with 1,023 yards and 12 touchdowns, had five games of 100 yards or more. 
Um, only completed, like you said, Eric, 53% of his passes for 910 yards, four touchdowns, three picks. Um, did throw for 5,000 yards in high school and ran for uh, 1,400, but or, or ran for over 2,000 for his career. But um, <clears throat> yeah, he, this could be. Yeah, I, I I like the i the the possibility of having you know he, of having him come in as another guy to actually to really compete in that room. Bryson, what's his eligibility? Is he a is he going to be a junior? How many years of eligibility does he have left? So what I'm seeing is I remember seeing that he had two left in football because remember he had they because you know technically the players now have five years of eligibility because of the extra mm-hmm. COVID year. So Plumlee's coming in as a senior. So that means he would have this season and another season of eligibility from what I am seeing because his uh, thing says a junior uh, thing says a junior. Yeah. He's coming in as a senior and then he has the fifth year of el- and then he has the fifth year eligibility for that. That's football baseball. I'm hearing he has three seasons of eligibility left there so um, now we'll see if he plays. I mean, from what I'm see- seeing, I um, the, it doesn't look like he's going to play baseball because he didn't transfer in time for the deadline to work, though they could get a waiver because waivers ha- waivers yeah. exist. So well, his, his Instagram, he did put both a, foot, a UCF football and a UCF baseball. Yeah, oh, he did. I'm not arguing that he could be a part, that he'll be a part of the team. Even if he doesn't play, I think he will, even if he doesn't play this season and it has to sit out because of the transfer, I think he'll still have a presence on the team at least because, you know, he has a, because he's, he can, you know, is practicing with the, with the team I've been hearing. So he he'll have a presence. The question is, is he going to play or not? And that's something that we'll probably have an answer to within the coming weeks leading up to baseball season the most underrated part of that story that bryson just mentioned gus and greg lovelady working together which is evident here you you, this doesn't happen without both of them signing off and it sounds like oh well of course he's gonna sign not every baseball coach would sign off to this or offensive player now obviously greg saw him up close last year because he yeah. uh, plumly played against him in that series, he's a talented player to play in the outfield. This will help the baseball team, but I, that's a part that I'm really looking forward to asking Gus uh, at the next media availability, whenever that is, and certainly when we talk to Greg as we get closer to the season on that bond and that coaches working together in different sports to help each other. I think that's a, a fantastic story that nobody will cover except us because nobody. Yeah, it's been it's, it's been a while too on that because uh, yeah. you know he's the first UCF baseball football two sport yeah. guy or would be since D Brown. Remember the thing with D Brown was he was a two sport player and then George O'Leary came in and forced him to choose and right. he chose baseball. And, so right. And Plumlee said, you know, during the Hill thing, he wanted to go somewhere where he knew he could play both sports. Yeah. So, so. um a couple other transfers that we need to talk about. One is Ryan Swoboda Boy, is this dude big. He's from Claremont, went to UVA, and is now transferring to UCF. 6'10", 325. He dwarfs you, Kyle Nash. Uh, well, he's he's taller than me, but I mean, listen, we okay, he weighs a little more than me too. Never mind. <laughs> any possibility of, that he could play that he could play the five and as a two sport star 
Eric Lopez or no? <laughs> I'm wondering if he's going to hang out with Von Wagner and uh, Harlan, who were at the basketball game, and just go to NXT after. Yeah, I mean, you know. Well, well, well. Listen, I don't know. I don't know if you see. I, I get a little bit worried here, offense, former offensive lineman Kyle Nash, because what's the number one rule of blocking? Low man wins. Okay. Well, th- listen. Th- the taller, the t- and I could see that and raise you a lot of traditional concerns surrounding short quarterbacks and things like that. And the quarterback room in general isn't necessarily a behemoth kind of tall, right? So, I mean, I can go in all that too. But at this point, listen, the dude wouldn't have found any success if he hadn't solved for that problem already. Second, he's playing. Fair point. He's been a yeah. starter at Virginia there for Bronco Mendehall. And see, I mean, who, yeah. de- who who's really dependent on offensive line play for his success, his success at BYU in Virginia. And he's been a, I think all yeah. conference performer. He, at UVA. Interestingly enough, he's not, he's actually tied for the tallest offensive lineman at UCF now with Paul Rubel, but go ahead. Yeah. And then on top of that, I mean, from the tackle position with, with height usually comes length. Now, in my case with my T-Rex arms, I suffered there. I just had to get old fashioned, find a way to get lower, but this guy a little different, you know, when you can keep them at a distance, um, you, you're, you're forgiven certain elements of gravity that may work against you in that situation. And also at the end of the day, if you have a guy who's that big on the outside, that tells me good feet. That tells me second level blocking. And if you have a running back core, like you do at UCF right now with what's going on, Bowser, Harvey, other new guys that have come in, you're going to want a guy that has the ability to go down the field and take care of those um, blocks at the second level uh, when applied for in that particular instance i'm you know that's that's just what i see and it's interesting him and and sam coming back this might be the best pair of tackles that you've had potentially since evans and uh wyatt miller well don't forget about tylen grable who entered in the transfer portal earlier in all ohio valley conference first team from jacksonville state he was he's he is a tackle as well if if i i'm wondering if we might see sam jackson at guard and put Grable at Grable and Swoboda. I've in seen that quoted. I'm not feeling that, but by the same token, Sam's smart enough to work with it. Physically, it doesn't make sense to me. Mentally, maybe Gra- maybe Grable's the one that moves around. I'm one of you know, maybe interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. So uh, now I mean, here's. So all I know is that Swoboda. Swoboda spent a lot. All I know is that Swoboda was basically the, the at right tackle the entire season at Virginia, and my guess is that that's where. Uh, oh, yeah. Guts and oh, coach yeah. and want to put in. Yeah, uh, that's a fit to me too. I hundred percent agree, Bryson. All right, uh, one last transfer that we want to talk about too, and this was a big one that dropped yesterday that uh, Drew was really excited about. Uh, Kobe Hudson, six one one ninety nine wide receiver. Eric's excited about this one too. He's going to be a junior. I think he's got what two years of eligibility left, Eric. I think so. Bryson is our expert eligibility eligibility okay. guy, so we'll go well, to him. Well, let me to let me drop that. this. Let me drop the stats on this kid. Forty four catches, five hundred eighty yards, four touchdowns last year for Auburn. Um, was uh, was uh, highly was highly recruited uh, in the top twenty nationally. He was the number one receiver in the state of Georgia. He's originally from Troop County High School in Pine Mountain. Um, and he's rejoined. He's uh, getting the band back together with Gus. Yet another former Auburn player coming back uh, to Gus Malzahn. And this guy, ostensibly Eric Lopez, is to replace. Uh, frame wise, looks to me like he's going to fit that Brandon Johnson yep. mold. Um, and with Titus uh, Mokia Atamalala moving on to uh, UCLA, which was announced this, which was announced this week. 
Um, he may get even more opportunities. I don't know if he was that much of a special teamer, but um, this is a super talented guy on the outside. We talked last week about relationships in recruiting in the transfer portal. Here's another example. This is a Gus guy, played at Auburn. This will fit. He fits in Gus's system, plays in there. He's, I think he's, if you rank the transfer ads for Gus, this is at the top of the list. Uh, I think he's a massive upgrade over Titus just because you've got a guy who's proven. He's experienced. We don't know what Titus is. And in th- and this is how you have is he to an upgrade evaluate. over Brandon, though. We'll see. The, the remains to be seen. But he's an upgrade on what they had on the roster currently. Correct. And if you and that's how you address and what how you have to evaluate the transfer portal is okay, did you upgrade? All right, you lose Titus, but you pick up Kobe. Well, guess what? That's a plus for UCF. That's an upgrade. So with all due respect to Titus, we don't know what Titus is. He might turn out to be great, may not. Who knows? But we know what Kobe is, and he fits this system better. Whoever the UCF starting quarterback will be will benefit from this. And you have Ryan O'Keefe, and you got Kobe, you know, Jay Flash possibly get back. Now this receiving core looks a lot better, which was something that much better than, you know, with with good upside here. And I, I think it was a big move. Don't forget we have Xavier Townsend and Tyler Griffin coming in as well, true first, true freshman. Yeah. Now, they may get redshirted, though, to be fair. But, I mean, even if you just run with those three guys, right, uh, O'Keefe, Kobe, and, uh, and, and, and assuming Jay Flash is coming back, which his social media didn't exactly state that he was, mm-hmm. but ostensibly that seems to be the vibe coming from there. Um, since he doesn't want to sit out for a year, I would assume. Yeah, this is this this receiving core just got really good. Not that it wasn't not that it wasn't good before, but it got re- got really good now. By and the way, you guys you me. guys asked about Kobe's eligibility. So um, co- he's coming off of his sophomore season with Auburn. He was wow. a true freshman in 2020. So I so the as far as the so extra three years. So I think he could have three, two for sure. Three, I, it depends on the extra COVID year. I have to double check the timing on that. I think the I think the rule is if you're on the 2020, if you were on a team in 2020, then you got the extra year of eligibility. So two years for sure, and but it could be, but it could be three for him. You know, also, with all the designations between like grad student, super senior, senior, I feel like senior. they should change the rosters to say like years left. Right. <laughs> you know. Oh. I know, but I, then I of course know. that's I, yeah. assuming things. But right. oh, by the way, we were talking about the offense, about the offensive line er, 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 earlier. I was just uh, doing, uh, you know, looking up Kobe Hudson real quick for my research, and I just saw breaking news that USA Today named center Matt Lee to its All Bowl team. As they Matt should. Lee. That is a talented yeah. human being. Really, we have bowl teams now. Right. I don't know. That's just what I don't know. I mean, they just <laughs> man, they, really, guy, we're about. that rough for content, huh? All right, cool. <laughs> well, we were talking about the O line earlier, so I figured, so I figured that would figured that would work. And I think it just, I think the the idea is that that you know the addition of Swoboda and Grable really helps uh, upgrade this offensive line because the offensive line lost Cole, Schne- Cole Schneider, who's playing mm-hmm. in the Hula Bowl on the same team as Mackenzie Milton. They're both on Team Ina. By um, Team Ina, by the way, led led by a uh, former Falcons head coach Mike Smith. 
So, um, so we're going to see that they lost Marcus Tatum. They lost, uh, Jermaine, um, you know, Brett Bell, they, they lost Jermaine McMullen. The point is, is that the, this offensive lineman had, had some losses, but Gus and Herb and coach and offensive line coach Herb Ham really, I think utilized the transfer portal well from an offensive lineman standpoint, because Grable and Swoboda are both some really good gets for that unit. And let's be real boys. This is Gus's nose and having coached in a power in the SEC. Kyle, I think you agree. You gotta be good in the line. You gotta oh, yeah. be good at the line, mm-hmm. and you're doing that. And you know, we haven't even talked about the forward. You know, Samuel Jackson coming back, Isaiah Bowser coming back, Anthony Montalvo on the defensive line coming yep. back, Alex Ward, the long snapper. They were part of that Burger U event that McKenzie uh, hosted on Sunday night that Bryson covered. You can read more about that on BlackAndGoBanneret.com. But I think Gus is building this roster up not only for next year but for the eventual move to the Big 12 because, Kyle, they have to be good at the trenches if you want to be a factor in the Big 12 because it's the big boys league once you get into the Big 12. Well, fair, and they're a they're group that that tends to uh, to work more um, with speed and trickeration and stuff. Not to say that they don't have beefy boys, you know, doing things in that conference, but listen, the best way to to crush speed is to have it dominated. If, if you've seen any of, for example, not to break anyone's heart here, but any of the losses involving Cincinnati at the end of the day, Cincinnati being tougher up front was what didn't and outdid any sort of speed or strategy that UCF brought up here. And I like that you brought up Sam Jack. The biggest deal for this O-line is bringing him back. One other thing is that um, Gus did mention that all four of the, the players coming back, Bowser, Montalvo, Jackson and Ward, all he called, he described both of them as leaders for this team. Sam Jackson, especially he was a captain. And I think that a big thing for with them coming back is that they're going to be me- essentially mentoring the this kind of next generation that's going to be this next generation of player that's going to be separated uh, or shepherding this UCF program into the Big 12. So seeing people like Sam Jackson coming back to do that is absolute is absolutely huge. All right, we're hoping to see that pay dividends. Over Kyle, you and I next year we're going to do a bold team for the Banneret, the Black and Gold Banneret All Bold Team. All right. Do this. <laughs> oh, the all AAC bowl team. I think that would get that would get quite a bit of uh that could get right. quite a bit of play, right? Guaranteed to beat any team in the ACC. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I think no. so let's move on. Let's move forward. All right. all right, let's let's get out of here for a second. We come back, women's basketball. Off to a good start in conference. Got that big win over Houston. They have an even bigger game coming up this weekend against South Florida. We will break that down and plenty more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the show. Jeff and Eric, along with Bryson and Kyle, here with you on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Women's basketball, uh, as we switch gears now, they have a huge game coming up on Sunday, 3 p.m., against the South Florida Bulls. And they themselves are coming off of a big win against this resurgent Houston Cougars team, head coached by Ronald Huey, former UCF assistant under Joy Williams. Um, Eric Lopez and uh, Bryson Turner, I know you guys have been paying very close attention to what this team has been doing right now. Um, they are 11-2, and 3-0 in the conference. And what did we learn from this UCF? Now, it looked like UCF was really pushing, was really going to push this thing out of reach and and Kyle you were there in particular actually Kyle I want to start with you on this they had a big lead over Houston it looked like the defense was just doing what what it does and then Houston all of a sudden just started making threes yeah and 
normally that's not that much of a concern, right? Like, you know, as UCF scored, or Houston, but Houston scored 31 points in the fourth quarter after being held to five in the second. Right. And what concerns me about this, right, it's not so much that that the game got close against Houston. Houston's a good team, all right? But they're going to be facing a team in South Florida that the book on them is they shoot threes. Mm-hmm. So should we – how concerned are we – this is the leading question, right? How concerned are we heading into this game against the Bulls uh, who are ranked in the top 25 and never met a three they didn't like? Right. No. And, and listen, if you look, if you look at the, if you look at their previous meeting, which ousted them from, uh, from the uh, tournament finals for the conference, right. It's the same thing. It's, it's the reason why, you know, arrows were invented in warfare. So you could take down your opponent from afar with minimal damage, right? This is, if it, it's somebody shooting threes and getting hot, that this, that is this team's weakness. That being said, that combination isn't something you're going to get every time. So from that standpoint, it always and will be a worry when you are facing a USF women's team, no question. However, the reason why the Houston game in and of itself doesn't really um, worry me and how that went is this very simple we- reason. Kelly Onage was a former UCF prospect. She came yeah. in early as a freshman with um, Brittany and uh diamond right um i'm yeah. not having that off yeah okay um but the punchline to all of the above being she went off in the fourth quarter like somebody who's playing against somebody who they uh used to play for okay i don't care if it's the nfl the nba or my cheesy little flag league where i had it happen to me it still happened that if you get traded or moved or used to play against another team you come out hot to show them what for it's a, it's a thing in the back of every athlete human's mind and whoever denies it is lying their entire rear end off. Okay. And she went three for five from three in just that quarter. She finished with 20 and, and she hit a three shot, a three foul shot, a continuation. Yes. Continuation off that. Yeah. Right. So, so. Absolutely. It's like she had four threes in that, in that fourth quarter. Right. Exactly. Went like, Houston went for like was only like two two of six from the free, from the line before before the um the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter not nine for nine so not only did they step up their three point shooting they stepped up their free throw shooting as well luckily UCF was able to respond in kind going nine three, for eleven in the nine for eleven from the free throw line but yeah three three point shooting they were four for fifteen in the first three quarters right in the fourth quarter Kyle they went six for eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- listen, when you finish any game with 10 threes and you're shooting in, in, in the 40s for percentage, you're going to come up with a lot of points. 31 by this team is ridiculous. I get it. Yeah. but yeah, Eric, um, UCF has shown remarkable consistency on their end. They were 50% for the game, although only one of nine from three-point range. But uh, a couple things that we do have to talk about regarding South Florida. These two teams are now back to back in the net ranking south florida's at 36 ucf is at 37 uh in addition to that ucf uh for for ucf the the defense has continued to play well but alicia lewis who's our favorite player right now um tied a school record with 10 steals in the game against houston and 
you know, it sounds cliche, I know, but we're going to need a lot more of that uh, in this game against South Florida if uh, if UCF wants to steal a win here. Uh, it's oh, it's going to be... You heard the pun there, Kyle? Pun, steal a win? See, get it? Oh, uh, no, I... I well, let me let me rephrase that though, because I, I kind of meant that in the context of if they were playing on the road. This game is being played at home. That's right. right. That's right. Kyle's right. going to be in the building. You know, it's a big game with Mister Nash is in the building. Who's going to enjoy this matchup? By the way, the ten oh, yeah. steals. The last time a UCF player did it was nineteen eighty eight. Real read Kyle's recap on BlackandGoBenerate to find out who that was a while coach. ago. It's a while ago. <laughs> but look, South Florida, obviously, look, these two teams are the most experienced teams in the league among the country. They, These two teams know each other. They've played for years. They UCF brought almost everybody back. USF basically brought everybody back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sydney Harvey, who was the difference maker in the conference championship game, she got loose in that championship game from the three-point line and scoring. That's where UCF, and, you know, and Abe, you know, mentioned in the post game, you know, see, they got to guard the three-point line. South Florida is shooting the ball really well this year, 34% from the three. They're averaging about seven threes a game, 19 attempts. That's the game. But the under underrated part of this game, she has, this girl has been a UCF killer, Bethy Munanga. You know, Kyle, because you, you, you brought up to Abe, is this the best, UCF have the best front court? In the, in the some, conference, right. In the conference. Some would argue that Bethy Monaga is the best front court player in the conference. 10 points, 11 rebounds a game, uh, nearly 12 boards a game. She has been a problem for UCF. And we've talked about the – I'll use the football analogy, the battle in the trenches. The battle in the trenches, Kyle, you're going to enjoy it here in the front court is Monaga against Masadi Kaba and, and, and Brittany you know, Thomas and – and, and, you know, Brittany Smith, I should say, excuse me, and Destiny, and Destiny Thomas. Thomas yeah. That's going to be the battle because South Florida is a very underrated rebounding team. You know, they're going to have their shots, but you got to box them out. Don't give USF second shot opportunities. Munaga is the best in the conference in offensive rebounds. She has 57 wow. offensive rebounds in, in this season, averaging five offensive rebounds. That's the key to the game. USF is going to get their threes. They're going to make some. They're going to miss some. But if you give them second or third opportunities, and Munaga is a big part of that, that's going to be the key in this game to me, whether UCF wins or not. I, I mean, listen, I'm already looking forward to to her versus Destiny Thomas. I mean, she darn near had a double double, um, went going nine and nine in itself, and like Coach Coach Abe is cheering for her to get that double double. And and you know, I I really what I was intrigued by, and I feel like they're going to do this on Sunday. I could be wrong, but Masni Kaba and Destiny Thomas in the starting lineup, and then Brittany Smith hitting double digits. I think it was she finished with 16 or something something awesome uh, coming off the bench. Uh, yeah. is, I think that's a good formula. Six, 16 For- points in 28 minutes off the bench, 8 of 9 from the field. I mean, come on, guys. Now, granted, I'm not expecting 8 of 9 every game, but if you're – listen, okay, let's say she was only 7 of 9 or – well, now it's a Star Trek reference – or, you know, 6 of 9. Five of nine. That's still double digits off the bench. Well, you bring up a great point here, Kyle, because Brittany Smith's more of a finesse big, skilled off maybe the most skilled of the bigs they have. That's how I'll say it, because she's still got four boards, brother. Correct. But Destiny, who I know you like a lot, mm-hmm. is a more of a physical presence, and she's getting more minutes this year than she did last year. And I wonder if that was part of the coach's staff philosophy in playing South Florida is to be more physical with them, in particular, physical with Munaga. If you can get her in foul trouble, that's going to kill South Florida's inside game and their rebounding. And I think Thomas could play a role that we'll find out with the lineups and everything on Sunday, but that's something to watch. But this is a heavyweight title fight. This is a, this is a big game for UCF. You want to hold serve. These are clearly by far 
the two best teams in the American. They have, this is a rivalry. They have collided. UCF has circled this game. That's why all these players, you spoke to them, Kyle, in media day. This is why they came, is to win a conference championship, that elusive title, and they know who's standing in their way, and that's the heavyweight champion of the world, and they're going to be seeing them face-to-face on Sunday. One concern I have, uh, Diamond Battles has been in a pretty bad shooting slump of late. Over her last four games, since the Seton Hall game, where she went 8-12 and scored 22 points, she, in the four games since then, she's 9-for-46 from the field. And that includes an 0 for 7 spot against Houston. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> she's got to hit shots. I think you know, she tried to get herself involved early and it was just you could tell it was just like not her night. I don't know what's going on there, but boy, it would be if she can find a way to get off the schneid in a big way, that could be that that UCF needs that. Needs that desperately, don't they, Kyle? Well, they they've shown, and and I asked Abe about this. Um, what's the what's her favorite thing that's different between this team and last year's team, um, and what have they improved on? And she said being to able to score from multiple places. In last year, if you had told me that, I'd be like, yeah, you got a problem there. This year, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I like watching Diamond Battle score too. She's got a finesse and a form to her that's awesome to watch. But at the end of the day, I mean, Lisha has has had games where she has had double digits. You know, Tay Sanders being Tay Sanders is a thing that's happened a lot at this part of the season. You're getting how much again off of off the bench potentially from Brittany Smith. They have more options than last year, so this is a little less perturbing. Now, that all being said, what else I've noticed about Diamond is when the spotlight's bigger, she gets a bit angrier and does some amazing things. This year, I love game, angry Diamond battles. Right? So this game could trigger that. So you could get exactly what you require there, Jeff. To your point, though, Jeff, they need some outside shooting, whether it's Diamond or Lish. One of them, or both, have to get some perimeter shots because USF's going to dare them to beat them from the perimeter. And you were one and nine from outside against right. And that's you're not going to beat USF hitting only one three. You got to hit some more threes, keep them honest. But to Kyle's point. Tay Sanders scored a career-high 23. Last handful of games, she's really been their best scorer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kyle, you haven't been long with I've called her the Kawhi Kawhi Leonard. She reminds me so much of Kawhi Leonard's style because she was a defensive player coming in, and I know Abe told you this at the postgame. She came in as a defensive player only, and and you've seen what she could do defensively and all the assignments that she gets defensively. But she's evolved to an offensive game, you know, has a mid-range game. Uh, is more aggressive this year, going to the basket, scoring, uh, and, and taking shots. She's got a lot of Kawhi in her, so I think as long as she continues to upward tick in the scoring, which she has really for the last handful of games, I think the scoring, balance scoring that you brought up, Kyle, is, is, is they'll be fine, but they have to get some perimeter shooting from Diamond and or Lish for them to win this game, to your point, Jeff. And, yeah, to add to you, Tay could provide that too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that what, what UCF needs right now, and I'm looking at the AAC rankings right now, and I can understand why UCF has this game circled because you, you, all of USF's four losses this season have come away from Tampa, whether mm-hmm. at away or neutral site. They're 5-0 and yeah. at home right now. So Tampa, UCF's going to have to go to Tampa later, later in the season. So, but, so circling this game is, is huge because you got to defend that home turf because who knows if you can guarantee that when you go. You got to hold Tampa. serve. You got to hold serve at home. 
Just like the men did with Memphis, right? Correct. You got to hold serve because you're right. You're right, Bryson. You don't want to go to Tampa. We, you know, one game back in in theory with you know and try to make up a win there on the road. So that's a great point. So uh, 3 p.m. ESPNU on Sunday, UCF against South Florida fans. If you can get to that game, be there because like this. Say hello this to Kyle. One of those games, this is one of those games oh, where me, you need to where where people need to like sit up and take notice because that's going to be. This is going to be, this is a bit, this is It'll the, be intense. as big, this is one of the biggest games, three, excuse me, biggest, three biggest games I sneezed um, of the year. I really do believe that. Well, you look so, at the rivalry of the, of the two schools. I think right now, women's basketball, softball, are your top two sports, women's soccer, probably third, uh, men's soccer definitely got intense with some of the chippiness they played last year, but this is as intense as it gets. Uh, soccer really got intense against Tulsa, that and it's going to be intense this Sunday when win soups. I'm telling you, it's going to be it's going to be the most intense women's basketball game of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, a couple things that we want to go through: two UCF men's soccer players got drafted in the MLS Super Draft. It's not just the draft; it's the That's Super right. Draft. Take that, NFL uh, NBA draft. Nuker, uh, let's see, uh, Nick Taylor, uh, forward and midfielder, got picked in the third round. He's staying home. He got picked by uh, Orlando City. And then Giannis Learman, pick number 85 overall, uh, fourth rounder, defender goes to uh, Chicago Fire. So, uh, Bryson, you took a look at these two guys. It's a bummer to see them go, but hey. This is great. We got two more UCF players in the uh, in the uh, MLS pyramid now. Oh yeah, so it'll be very. It'll be. I'm excited to see what if if uh they if Orlando City face NYCFC again to see oh Nick Taylor possibly shoot on Sean Johnson. That should be a very a very interesting combination to see. I'm really glad that Nick Taylor's staying in Orlando though. I did a Know Your Night article on him back when UCF faced SMU, which was his former yep. school, and he talked about how what he when he came to Orlando he found it as a very happy medium between his hometown of Dallas and New Mexico, where he went for the first couple of years of his collegiate career in Albuquerque. So to see that he's going, that he's back here and going to stay here in Orlando again is really cool. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go check out that Nick Taylor article. It's pinned on, it's the pinned tweet on my Twitter account at it's Bryson Turner to see Nick Taylor's journey to the 407. And now it looks like he's going to be making his home here for the long term, hopefully. So I'm very excited to see that. And the Chicago Fire, they got themselves a really great defender in Giannis Learman. I'm, I'm very excited to see what he'll be able to do there. That's now eight active UCF men's soccer alumni in professional soccer here in the United States, topped off by, of course, Sean Johnson, the reigning most valuable player of the MLS Cup, and uh, Cal Jennings, who finished the uh, year on LAFC's roster. So coast-to-coast nights in uh, MLS. Uh, as we wrap up here as well, um, tennis is getting started uh, this week. Is that right, Bryson? We've got uh, uh, the dual match season for uh, women's tennis starting. Oh, no, that's next week. Next Saturday they start. Monday, January men. 17th, yes. And uh, and of course the men have that uh, have that Miami invite, which is or no, they just finished the Miami invite. They start their season against Georgia on Monday, and this is a this is a big test to start off the season. Is that right, Bryson? 
Oh yes, the team is uh, the te- the whole team is ranked number eight in the country. So um, UCF is ranked number eleven. So we're in the same neighborhood ranking wise. So there's that. But individually, we're looking at they have five ranked singles in the top one twenty five. And Georgia two, has uh, this five ranked. Georgia, singles. Georgia, yeah. yes. And then Georgia also has two of the top sixty ranked doubles teams. So I, I got to hand it to John Roddick. This is a really really big good test to start off the season for the to start up the season for the for this men's tennis team elo elo john roddick is going to the tiffany roberts the Haydack school of scheduling on this one isn't he yeah he always does he always does and i'm not gonna comment on the ranking because we've had coach roddick on the show and you know what he feels how he feels about rankings at this <laughs> time does, of year he does not, not like rankings so at all <laughs> let's i you know so i'm just gonna stay away from that because i'm not gonna get in the doghouse but uh look it'll be exciting Pretty remarkable to have the tennis teams ranked that high, though, uh, this early. And should be, I mean, it's going to be a marquee matchup. All right. Last little bit, too, for uh, for you, Bryson. The uh, indoor track and field season gets underway, which is my jam. I love, you know how much I love track and field, uh, which means we get uh, our very first, they're actually going to start their season at Clemson. And uh, which means we get our very first look uh, this season for uh for UCF uh, women's track and field. Yep, I'm very excited. We're going to be seeing a few of the of the cross country stars back, like Valerie, like Valerie Lastra. Very excited to see her again in some of the longer distance events. But I think that ever that the more general UCF fans might be more excited at the prospect of seeing Renaya Jones back for the first time. Uh, back, she's back for the first time since she's her, her running Olympic, tri- Olympic trials. So I am very excited to see her do indoor because Dana Boone mentioned this on a, on a pay on a, uh, in a video on the UCF, uh, track and field cross, uh, track and field cross country Twitter account that they haven't really had a proper indoor season in two years. So this will be a very interesting change of pace for the, for some of these younger players like Renaya who haven't really had a regular indoor season yet, but all the same, our girl's back. And I am very excited to see what she'll do as they as they get started against against Clemson, which is going to be on Friday and uh, Saturday. Also, um, one more thing that we want I wanted to make sure we mentioned is that uh, if you're in the if you're here local, you'll be able to be able to see this ESPN Y World Sports. The cheer and dance squads are going to be competing at at nationals this weekend. And so if you were and actually what's cool if you were at the women's basketball game on Tuesday against Houston or the men's basketball game against Memphis, you actually saw them practicing their routines for that competition. They used those, those basketball games to practice them. You basically, we have, um, they're going to be competing on, on Friday and set on Friday and Saturday. And they're on jazz, on jazz routine, hip hop competition. Um, there's yeah, a, that's they, night moves. Yeah. The, yeah. the dance team. And then the cheerleaders, um, they're the national finals are Sunday. It's at the wide world of sports, like you said, but they tape delay the broadcast. They, they won't, they won't go up for like another, what Bryce, another month or so. Yeah. But though, obviously everybody will be following it on social well, media. Um, like well, uh, actually the weekend's competition is going to be streamed live on varsity TV.com. There you go. So if you, so you can, but I think you got to pay for that. Uh, oh, you got to pay to watch people cheer. Holy smokes. Oh, that's just what it says. Uh, that uh, hey, man, don't do not listen. Do not call that out, man. Like you are. Listen, my only issue is media mob. 
In my opinion, Bert. they should expand the playoff in cheerleading. I think it's a bogus title anyway. It's, you know, unless we win, then it's legit. Would, it, would, it. would you see Evgeny a gymnastics team satisfy you, Eric? Because they, that's what the, because that's the closest thing we have. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Come no on, conference team, commissioners. I will say this, and I say this in all truth and honesty, okay? No UCF sports team has a more difficult path to win a national championship than cheerleading. You know why? Everyone else's season lasts what? Football lasts 13, 14 games, 12, 13, 14 games. Basketball's 30 games. Baseball's 50 games. You know what cheerleading has? Three minutes. Three minutes to win it. To It, it decides your whole season. So, let me tell you. They're looking for their fourth national championship this, uh, this year. Hey, they're fi- they finished runner-up last year, so I have to imagine that they're going to be hungry to do that. Yeah, so... So yeah, uh, this so, is gonna, so that's going to be big. Uh, Saturday, Saturday to Monday, streaming live on varsitytv.com. Span the playoffs. Let's go. You can, all, you can also go. go uh, you can also visit the ESPN Wide World of Sports if you're up to go and watch that. It's going to be over there. Uh, cheerleading team, cheerleading team. You got the hip hop and jazz dances as well. Uh, good luck. I mean, Coach Gooch has certain, certainly had a very good pedigree with this team, and I'm very excited to. The South dominates cheerleading. Leading to Kyle, just so you know. Oh, I'm yeah. aware. Yes. All right. Let's wrap this thing up here. Uh, we've got, uh, by the way, tremendous thanks once again to all of you for listening. Uh, if you subscribe, if you don't subscribe to our podcast, you can do so via Apple uh, or wherever you get your podcast via your Android devices. Uh, you can follow us at UCF, uh, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. UCF Banneret underscore SBN is our Twitter handle. You can follow each of us individually at It's Bryson Turner, Eric Lopez Elo, the SOTG, which stands for the student of the game. And of course, here's truly at Jeff underscore Sharon. And follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, where, by the way, gentlemen, the last few days, our number one rated uh, article, and it has stayed our most read every day. That little counter resets every day. Our transfer portal tracker. Nice. So we'll keep that updated. I know that uh, I know that Drew Statboy Drew on Twitter is going to uh, Andrew Glukov is keep helping us keep that updated. I'm helping keep that updated. Bryson has been fantastic at updating that thing. Uh, it's going to be uh, it, it's as the as as the booms come in, we update that transfer portal tracker so you can see uh, what UCF is up to. And of course, we have women's basketball this weekend. We got. Um, uh, men's basketball as well. This is going to be uh, as we head into this mid-January stretch, man. Here we go. Finally, tennis something right else other from... than basketball. Not that I don't Ten- love it, but there's tennis, more. There's more yep. stuff. <laughs> believe me, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming. If you're if if you're <laughs> if you're getting bored, Bryson, believe me, we got some stuff coming for you in the next couple weeks. Here's the spring sports fire up. Ain't that right, boys? And in the meantime, update the tracker. Update the tracker. So. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner, and Kyle Nash, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you.